An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody. Um, you know what? We're going to have to class up to join here a little bit and talk about Broadway. The Broadway stage, we talk about TV, a little film, a little book. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Broadway. Broadway's newest star is on the horizon, you guys. And a fantastic new show. The show is called Fat Ham. Uh, it is a kind of a play on words, harkening back to our old pal, Mr. Hamlet, many, many years ago. But reimagined, reimagined is not quite the word, but we'll talk about that, uh, with this incredible cast led by the amazing Marcel Spears, who has joined us today on Black on the Air. Mr. Marcel Spears, also of the neighborhood on CBS, of course, you all know. Welcome to Black in the Air, my friend. It's it's my pleasure to be here, Larry. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you. It's such a great show. I want everybody to see the show. I've been talking about it since I saw it. It's it's got everything. It's funny. It's uh, thought provoking. It's engaging. It's uh, it's unpredictable in so many different great ways. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? Where's this thing going exactly? <laughs> you know? uh, it, I always say, what is a question that can be a bad what or it could be a good what? Like, what is a bad what? But what is a good what? And that's mm. what your show is. What? You know, that type of thing. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like. The show definitely is a roller coaster, but I think there's like some some bad what moment and some good what moments. Like you're sitting in the audience, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And then you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly, exactly. If there are bad what's, at least the good what's is what yes, I'm saying. Always, you know, always. And it's almost like, whoa, 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 wait, what? What? Huh? What? Why man doing that? I don't understand. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's give the audience just a little bit of a taste of of what they're seeing here. Um, it's at the American Airlines Theater, right? What started yeah. out at the at the public theater, which of course starts everything. It's such a great place. And uh, just tell us a little bit about the story here and uh, and the background. Yeah, so, so Fat Ham, uh, like the log line is like, it is a, a reimagining, that word. It's like a remix of Hamlet set at uh, a family's cookout. Like Hamlet took place over 
over some time celebrating the, the wedding of uh, the new king, Claudius, and the queen, uh, this takes place over a day. Like, this is a day, mm-hmm. family cookout. Uh, the Hamlet character in our show is called Juicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Juicy is is a young, queer, Black kid trying to figure out, like, what his life is when suddenly he loses his father. His father is, is tragically killed under very shady, mysterious circumstances, mm-hmm. a la Hamlet. Right. Uh, and his uncle marries his mom. Mm-hmm. And so they take all of that mess and set it at a cookout uh, where those kinds of, of like like bubbling kind of emotions just sort of spill yes. onto the stage uh, in a really, really beautiful and interesting way. It's a play about identity. It's a play about family and, and how we sort of navigate those really, really tight and intricate relationships. Uh, and I think it's really dope. It really is. The line from Hamlet that sticks out to me that kind of describes this play is more than kin, but less than kind. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. yes. It's kind of what this group dynamic is. It kind of what's universal about it, you know, and it's a, what's great is that, you know, it's this black cast on Broadway and the audience, you know, is mostly white, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm seeing it. And the, it shows you how universal these themes are, you know, mm-hmm. even though, like all, I said, I'm thinking, how did all these white people get invited to the cookout? This is amazing because <laughs> it literally is a cookout, you know. But uh, the themes are so, you know, universal. And I'm talking about the contemporary themes about it, not so much the the Hamletness of it. Mm-hmm. But there is this, you know, conspiracy of secrets that all families have to deal with and how mm-hmm. you deal with secrets and that type of thing does that kind of resonate with you and how and you can feel that resonation with the audience as you're doing it like they like you can feel that they just get this right yeah i think it's it's one of those things where like especially like because this play takes place like in the south through the lens of blackness like this idea this like really pervasive idea of black people like being presentable Mm. in the world that we are presentable um and like like respectability politics and just showing a good face because any any fracture in your image or your outward appearance is indicative of like something that could bring you harm or like your job or somebody might see something in you where they're like oh this person isn't worthy to exist in this space so black people put on like this really really or they tried to, or they have tried to put on like Mm -hmm. this really, really pristine mask that I think everybody does, but black people do it in such a specific way is is like palpable in this play. Like you can see it. So when you have this queer kid who is like visibly, noticeably gay, understanding that his family is, is there is a shame around it, or there is, there is an attempt Mm -hmm. to like push that energy down and push that down and this this character Juicy just doesn't go for that. Like he just he yeah. lived very uh, boldly in his queerness, uh, and it's something that is like a source of tension between the men in his life who they identify they their idea of what a man is is everything Juicy is not, and that causes like tension even in the relationship of his dad who is dead but comes back as a ghost. Like it, it, it just seems like uh, homophobia and 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 patriarchy just don't die. Like it, he comes back, yes, yes. he comes back with that same energy <laughs> on ten. Like he's still there. Like he sits even he, in the afterlife. Um, yes. And so it, it's 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 one of those things that like I think people again like black people deal with in such a tangible way, or not even just black yeah. people, ethnic people, like immigrants have to to like 
be presentable in a certain way. And I think that mm. the mechanism of that is something that people recognize in themselves because everybody has that, like, I gotta, we can't talk about that. We can't show this. This is not conversation. This is not appropriate for this moment. And like all of those family secrets, all of those untalked about things just spill out onto the stage in a really, really messy way. In a messy and glorious way. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's, it, I feel like with, in a white show, this show would be too retro, you know? Like yeah, yeah, they've the done that. White, it, yeah, it would be way too retro, you know? I mean, Angels in America was 40 yeah. years ago, it was, you know, 35 years ago, however long, you know, uh, so many issues. But you're right, there's almost like a this um, masculine suit of armor that black mm -hmm. people have had to put on and had to, because there's so many intersections intersecting issues about masculinity in the black community. Mm -hmm. Remember like black men just taken out of the home and that mm -hmm. type of thing. And, and how important it was for black men to have a sense of quote unquote masculinity. Mm -hmm. And that's why gayness in the black community was, was a double like, you know, bad check mark for a lot of times because it was almost like people felt let down by that. You know, mm -hmm. like you can feel it in the words of soft, like calling somebody soft and, mm -hmm. you know, that you do in your play and what that the meaning behind that. It's it's more than to me because it's this black thing. I see it more as an attack. It's not just a homophobic thing. It's it's an attack on black masculinity mm -hmm. in some ways. Right. Because black people in this country have the unique burden of proof that they yeah. are human like we have had to fight right. for our humanity yes so when you have black men who have had to fight like you see the, the old school protests like i am a man we have had yeah, to fight that's right. to claim our humanity and to be men and that was like we were only allowed to express that in a very specific way so when you have that and then you see or perceive someone tossing that away because now the 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 way of thinking around queerness is is like this man is less than a man because he is right. yeah. or this person is less of a person because they are queer. Like that idea is now like sandwiched with this black identity. And so black people have have had a very unique response to that and to black queer people because of that. Like we have had to fight for our humanity. And the thing is, we are all doing it alongside each other. We're doing yeah. arm in arm and queer people have been a part of fighting for black liberation and like civil Absolutely. rights for a long time. Bayard Ruskin, one of the. Yes. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those architects things, of the civil rights movement. Yeah. yeah. It's one of these, it's one of these weird, like uncomfortable marriages where we are yeah. all fighting for the same thing. But it's even, even like the relationship between black men and black women, like we're all yeah. aiming for the same thing, but like, we're mm -hmm. still, we're still stuck in these, these very like narrow ideas of what we are allowed to be. And so we're trying to like get to a place where everyone can be seen and everything can be valid. But in doing that and in trying to define what we are, sometimes the, those we, we bump up in, into each other. Yeah. And it's funny when you think about one of the most eloquent voices of the black struggle, James, his James, James Bowen, right? Yeah. You were right. You were ahead of me in that, you know, and he's always been, 
rightly so, lauded for that and praised for it. And he's he's arguably almost more famous now than he was in his time because yep. he, he kind of went through like those peaks and valleys that you have when you're that type of person. You know, he was, I feel like he was almost forgotten when he passed away, you know, yeah. he just wasn't talked about as much, but you know, his queerness was never really talked about. And mm-hmm. even he, you know, he was a little coy in how he addressed it and everything, yeah. but it was always a down arrow, not an up arrow, you yeah. know, and that's significant, right? I mean, like, I always wonder, where are we with that, you know, with Mr. Baldwin and that movement? And like, is there a reckoning? Are we at that moment right now? You know, it's funny. it feels like we it feels like we're at that moment now where James was very delicate about it. Because, again, you're already black. And like even he would he would often speak from the perspective of the black man. Yeah. Um, so he would talk about like being with his woman and this and the other. About he did. He talked about he wasn't allowed yes. or he mm-hmm. didn't feel safe or comfortable in our community to stand fully in his truth. Because, again, yeah. being queer. Has often and historically been seen as less than it, it is. Right. It is a perversion of what is the status quo. It is a perversion of what it what should be. And so he wasn't able to occupy that space in that way. And here we are now where like there are a lot of like voices there. There are a lot of like young people and like younger James Baldwin-esque type of people that fully stand in their queerness and are trying to talk about the intersection between these two identities and trying to like fill up that space and like have a voice for that specific experience. And I think it's, 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 I think Renaissance is kind of a weird word to say, but there, there is a lot of new energy where black people are being forced to look at what this what this means for us. Yeah, and I like the fact that, you know, the way that this is presented through masculinity as opposed to being just about queerness in itself, because I think those two issues are, that is the intersection in this particular community. <laughs> and it resonates not just with that, but with the relationship of masculinity to women, you know, and, and queer women, yeah. you know, in this too. I mean... Masculinity to me is also another thing that really isn't talked about with nuance. It's kind of shrugged off as toxic or whatever this, but it's like, mm, there's a lot of nuance here that deserves to be talked about. Right. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Like it yeah. felt like once the idea of toxic masculinity entered the space, mm-hmm. it felt like any masculinity was toxic. Right. It was shuffled off to its mortal coil. I'm just going to quote a lot of Shakespeare here. Yeah, yeah like any masculinity was then deemed toxic because of exactly the, because of the potential threat that Correct. it poses to anybody trying to like redefine what that looks like. Even for me, right. like as a young black man from the south, like there are a lot of things that I had to that I was indoctrinated into stuff that I learned mm-hmm. like from uncles and grandfathers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I am now in a unique position in my family to like question and look at and challenge and be like, well, that that's not what it means to be a man. And like the, the, some of the most beautiful, like strongest moments my grandfather and my dad had are the moments where I saw them being gentler and soft. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the men that I love and respect are men who are like the way that they protect, protect and provide is them protecting and providing a safe space. Like you can come mm-hmm. to me and talk to me like you can't talk to everybody you can talk to me and that act of love is a very vulnerable very soft nurturing mm-hmm. kind of masculinity that i don't think 
people appreciate because the idea of what a man is supposed to be is protect and buy, protect and provide and like produce. Like men are only as valuable as what they can produce. Men are only as as valuable to the family as their ability to provide for that family and protect that family, keep that family safe. And in a world where you a black man and you can barely keep yourself safe, like it's hard to to not go to the most extreme version of that mm-hmm. when everything else is seen as like weakness. So I think black people are having to reckon with some of the the ideas that we've held on to. And we are getting a chance to unpack these mm-hmm. things in a way that I feel like maybe people in the white community have always been able to look at. Like as a comedian, like we, we get right. the jokes, like the white guys are like this and black guys are like that. Yeah. There's a reason why it's that See, way. White people are challenge some of those ideas. Yeah, of when you... When it's your time to reckon with something and different groups have different times for depending on what the issue is, you know, Um, you know, Tennessee Williams uh, as a a queer playwright, (laughs) you know, which is sometimes an oxymoron, um, you know, dealt with a lot of issues. He kind of cloaked in a lot of his stories, even to me, um, you know, on the water, well, not on the water, what's the... uh, Brando one. Streetcar Named Desire. Streetcar. Streetcar. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, just there's so much in there, you know, about masculinity and those issues, you know, and this is in the 40s, you know, he's writing this. But there's also that intersection of the South. You know, he was a Southern man. How important, what role does the South play in this? And why is that an important issue in this play to you? Because you're from, the, where are you from, New Orleans? Is I'm from the South, I'm from New Orleans, yeah. Yeah, can you talk about that in in the ways that it may affect this? Yeah, I think the Southernness of it just provides like structure and context to these ideas. Because again, the way this country sits, the South has always been a little bit, mm. quote unquote, behind the times on certain things. They're a little more traditional. And the, the ideas of what a person can be is a little more binary in the South. Like mm-hmm. the South as a, as an identity looks at like the North as like very like progressive or whatever the case may be. And the West is like insane. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> when you think and about the, the South, like the West. And is, the South at least has always been, even if they were wrong, they were honest. Like, right. you know, where you stood in the South, they weren't right. like secretive, like in the North or whatever, yeah. you know, right. Like the North, the North is, is too, the, the rules are too fuzzy. Like you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in the West, there are no rules like that, that. Right. So, I think the Southern context of this show and like the Southern identity of these people just illustrates and like emphasizes mm-hmm. the way that they navigate the world. Like the, the women characters in this place, mm. women Southern. have to deal with a certain level of masculinity too. Like the, that yeah. line of masculinity in this play, black women have to present uh, in a certain ways, very masculine because again, mm-hmm. This country had structures set up to take men out of the home. So these That's women right. protect and provide and That's be right. strong and, and be potentially ready to, to defend themselves and their family at any moment's notice. They had to fight for raises and because they have children to provide for because the husband is out of the house for one reason or another, whether it be lynchings or jail or whatever the case may be, these weird little, little fuzzy like hurdles that black people have to navigate through in this country. Um, and so the women in this family occupy like different levels of masculine mm-hmm. space. The Polonius character, Rabbi does it through her religion. Like she, her, her religion is oh. Opal, who is the Ophelia of this play is sort of embodying. She's a queer woman and she yeah. 
has this idea to embody this hyper masculinity as a way to protect herself. That's right. She literally says in the play, like, if I if I am like this, if I'm like your uncle, people will be afraid of me. Ain't nobody gonna mess with me. Like I'll be mm-hmm. safe because nobody's gonna play with me in that way because they see that I am formidable enough to protect myself in that way. And I think these are ideas that black women ask themselves oftentimes. And even in even in our modern context, like it gets to the point to where men are talking to women about the role of women and how women should show up because yeah. women are having to like navigate the world the way that the best way that they can. And some men are like, well, you're not feminine enough or you're not this mm-hmm. or you're not that. And so this idea of masculinity and the way that it affects everyone. And then specifically the way that it affects black people, I think is just heightened by it being set in the South because yeah. all of these, all of these things are very, like you're talking about it in a really binary way. Right. And you know, we talk about masculinity in, in South, but another issue is femininity. And to me, if there's a toxic masculinity in the South, I would argue there was a smothering femininity. Yes. <laughs> you know? And in it really is in the relationship with your mom, uh, where I found this an inappropriate relationship that I thought, you know, I don't know if people are picking up on this, but the fact that she needs you there and mm. doesn't allow you to have your own agency in life because she's dependent upon you. We mm-hmm. understand why she is. She's a broken mm-hmm. person. But, you know, there's that smothering femininity issue there also that is also a broken construct, mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, or a fragile one maybe is a better word. You know? mm-hmm. Like this, this is a woman who doesn't feel like she has any agency. Exactly. Right. Um, and so she, she sort of uses the relationship that she has with men and they often use her or abuse her. And this person is broken. Yeah. So she hasn't, she doesn't feel like she has the agency to like choose something different for herself. Right. Um, and so she is vulnerable right. and her relationship with her son is she's almost reliant on him. Like yeah. he's, he is her, her backup plan. He is her safety plan. Like all of these men are terrible. Right. They treat yep. her poorly. But if I have this young man, like I have okay. raised, I have raised <laughs> my perfect partner. I have raised the person right. that is to keep me safe. I have raised the person who is going to be my confidant and protect me in those ways. And it, it, it uh, sort of taints that relationship because it puts right. the pressure on Juicy Hamlet to to be like his mom's saving grace, like to be all of those right. things. And that reflects in some cases, not every relationship, but that reflects a lot of real relationships where absolutely like a, a, a mother was it's a single mother and like it's just her and her son or her and her boys or whatever the case may be. And these people become surrogate partners. Like I, right. I was never able That's to the inappropriate uh, part. Right. I, yeah. Like they were never able to find the partner that they needed. So they're raising the partner that they need. That's and it, right. It, it puts a, it puts a weird uh, tension. It's Oedipal. Yeah. It's Oedipal. It is. is what it is. It is. Yeah. But, and then the Oedipus like through line, I think has been always played with or toyed with in Hamlet, but mm-hmm. it's, it's like, that's right. That's right. It's expressed in a different way here. Yeah. In this play. Yeah, there's so many rich themes, you know. I love uh, all your soliloquies to the audience, too. It's very funny. It's so engaging. You know, it seems like you're having a lot of fun uh, as you're performing it, too. Did, does it feel fresh to you every night? It feels like that's what it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in order in order to do it and, and do it right, at least for me, like, it has to be fresh. And it's easy because each audience is different. Mm-hmm. Like you say, we get a lot of audiences where it's it's a lot of like 
blue haired ladies. There's a lot of old white people. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. And so uh, they, they hear things different. Yes. Sometimes they're hearing things for the first time. And so it's interesting to experience that with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of black people in the audience. They hear the play differently. Like they can't mm. references that on a nightly basis because of the makeup of our audience, the whole audience doesn't always get. So it's like, <laughs> it's like different because they're, they're with us. They're hearing different things. Like you hear the, the Shakespeare nerds are like orgasming when like certain references or certain soliloquies or certain things are hit. Like when at the oh, end, yeah. when Tio was like, oh, you remember Yorick? Like funny nigga who's ahead of us in class. <laughs> yeah. And was like, just like, yeah, I knew him. It's because like, that is like such a, it, it, like yes. you can, you'd be like, okay, yeah, there are Shakespeare people in this. Right, right, right. Um, so it keeps it fresh. It keeps it new. And the way that uh, James Imes, our playwright, like who's absolutely brilliant. Like he brilliant. just, he just took the fourth wall out of it. Like, that, yeah. easy, that easy connection with the audience, every character has a little bit of that. Every yeah. character has like an engagement with the audience. So the audience really feels like they're part of the play. And each audience is different. So it's a different play. Sure. It, keeps it, it keeps it interesting. Like when, when an audience is a little more reserved or a little more shy, I'm like, okay, so let, let me, how can I talk to them? To yeah, yeah where they are right now. So it's, it's, it keeps it fresh. I love all the Easter eggs, you know, for everybody. That That's great. Um, how uh, were you surprised that there's this uh, intersection between Shakespeare and contemporary black culture, like how well this kind of blends, you know, no, was that kind of a surprise at all. I mean, the truth is I think Shakespeare was always meant to be mm-hmm. like alive when Shakespeare was popping, like when he was first coming out. We have so many different like folios of the the plays, like so many. This is like the first edition and the fourth folio and the this folio. Sure. We have that because people are editing, like as they perform. Like we're right. we're here. This version it works. was a work in progress. Yeah. Right, it was always yeah. they were always editing mm-hmm. because audiences were always different. The, right. the audience always responds, and then in those days, like the audience is right there, and they there was no like etiquette. There was oh, no, they were unforgiving. Yeah, they were unforgiving. So yeah. you often find yeah. in Shakespeare plays, like, uh, I think, I don't remember, I think it was Puck, maybe, uh, if, if we shadows have offended. Like, Shakespeare often will, when he speaks directly to the audience, he'll say, hey, look, if y'all don't like what y'all just saw, that's cool, too. Uh, uh, just pretend like it was like a dream, and it was all just a moment. I think that's, what, that's Puck's speech in, in Midsummer at the end, and like, there are all these moments where characters will directly talk to the audience and be like, Hey, are y'all feeling this? Is this an idea that y'all have? And right. so uh, that relationship has always been there. And I think it's always been intended to be like a living text, uh, not so much to change all the words, but just to be, just to meet the audience where they are. And yeah. I think you see it nowadays, everybody's trying to do the black version of whatever, like everybody's trying to do like, the Tempest set in Hurricane Katrina or like whatever, right. whatever all these different, these yeah. different iterations of these, these Shakespeare plays. And so I think like James writing this play in this way where the relationship is so close and the juxtaposition is so stark and it's like right there all in one space um, is really cool and interesting. And for me as an actor and as an artist, that's kind of where I live anyway. Whenever I approach Shakespeare, Mm-hmm. I approach it as a nigga from New Orleans. Like I approach it as a dude from yeah. around the way. Um, and, and even if that's not the character, like wh- whoever the character is, mm-hmm. I imbue him with like my modern context. Like what is, okay, so this guy is a Duke. What do I feel like a cool black Duke would be like? Like what, who is that guy? 
Um, and so I think James just wrote in a way that I naturally approached the work. Like, it, like the parts where it isn't, he isn't like straight up ripping a soliloquy out and putting it into his play. I feel like there is still a lot of poetry and there is still a lot Absolutely. of, a lot of like really, really rich language and really, really rich text that, that you can play with. And it just, it, it felt so natural and it felt so organic to me. Yeah. Because like, that's why I was reticent to say reimagining. Cause it's more like inspired by more than mm-hmm. anything else. No, you it know? Is. Like even in the thirties, uh, Orson Welles did a black production of Macbeth, you know, that, yeah. you know, it was a very famous production. So like we've always like done this, but we were always like interpreting that maybe in us, but this is different. You know, this is, mm-hmm truly an authentic voice coming out here, which just uses that as inspiration and like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, putting some uh, seasoning on yeah. the meat, you know, <laughs> so so to speak, you know, because it does feel like it's our story, not, you know, that you're telling the bard story. That's the difference mm-hmm. to me, you know, and that's what's, that's what's really effective and emotional about it, you know, too, uh, especially with the performances. Um, how did you first come to? Uh, how did this first come to your attention, Marcel? Uh, the uh, play when, when I was at, when I was in grad school at Columbia, I felt like I was trying to every year I was trying to get at the public theater. I was trying to be. Were you a theater major? Was that your grad school uh, focus? What was your focus? Yeah, so in grad I got school? my MFA in, in acting and performance acting. from Columbia, okay. um, and so I I came in working and I was in school and mm-hmm. I was hungry and I was always trying to like get booked at the public and it, it didn't happen mm-hmm. while I was there, but I maintained a really good relationship with casting and everybody in that, in that place. Uh, and so when they were doing this play with James and Sahim Ali, our director, and they were trying to find Juicy, mm-hmm. they kept me in mind because the character Juicy is like queer, black. He is described as like thick and mm-hmm. for once, mm-hmm. I have a casting director looking for <laughs> a chubby black right. dude. Like, I have a casting director like, dang, where are all the chubby black men? Mm. Um, and so they reached out. They sent my agent all the information. And my agent, in the email that he sent me, he was like, I read this script. And I immediately knew that this is something that you would want to do. So give it a look. And as soon as I started reading, like, that first scene between Juicy and his dad, when he comes back as a ghost, and, and like, he is just, he is like heckling his son from mm-hmm. the break. Like he I comes know. in yeah. heckling his son, like from jump and then asking for a favor. I was like, all right, this is me. Like, this is me. I'm in this. Like, I want to do it. And then like seeing the, the specific soliloquies that James put in the play um, and also seeing that he intentionally left out the most famous one to be or not to be like, right. I was like, oh, something is happening in this. And so I was like, I want to do it. I wish I could do it. And then the irony of it is I spent most of my career doing regional theater all over the country Mm -hmm. and like wishing that I could book like a recurring on somebody's TV show. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got back to this place, auditioning for the public, the production team and like some of the directors and everybody was like, ah, but he's a TV guy. Like, can he do theater? And I was just mm. like, can I do theater? That's like, that's what I do. So <laughs> it was, it was really interesting coming back into that, but I was, I was, I was hyped to get a chance to, to, to play this character. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I don't know if I told you this afterwards, but I was saying that the it felt like comfort food when I was watching this in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, it's funny because you talk about television. A lot of this plays almost like if it were a classic Norman Lear sitcom, you know, it does. because the, the material itself is very dark, but the tone is very funny, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, what is your take on that? Uh, and when, why do you think laughs really work here, you know? Because you're, it's a, it's not, it's not suicidal thoughts. They're homicidal thoughts. Yeah, these are very dark. These are very dark. Yeah. But I feel like in, in the same, in the vein of like Norman Lear, like taking like super, super yeah. like racist jokes and ideas and yeah. like writing them in such a way that everybody understands the darkness underneath this joke. But we yeah. can all like look at it and laugh and, and it's, it feels more like we're laughing together than laughing at each other. It's abrasive, especially now when you go back and watch some of the stuff, you'd be like, Yo, this is on TV. I know. They had an abortion episode. Of uh, so it, it, it does do that. But I think like, and, and you would know as, as a, a very, very successful comedian yourself, there is something about humor that is disarming. Mm-hmm. There is something about humor that is like, the great equalizer puts everybody sort of on the same stage because humor in order for something to be funny, you have to be observant. Like you're Mm -hmm. looking at something, you're studying something. And when you're finding the funny of something, you have observed like the thing that is the most human and the thing Mm -hmm. that is the most common between people, like either Mm -hmm. they live it and know it, or they have seen it. So they recognize it. And that's that space is where the funny lives. And when you're able to find humor around really, really dark themes, it allows people to think about those things and empathize with those things in a different way. They get access to it in a mm. way. It means something to them because now they're thinking about, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that is a thing that I've heard or seen. Or I do mm-hmm. understand that. Um, and I think that's, that's why like comedy is still so impactful and still so powerful to this day. Yeah, it's funny because... Laughs to me, it liberates you from a moment, you know, it kind of frees you of the tensions of the moment, you know, and allows you to experience it differently where straight drama is, 
the idea is to engage you even mm-hmm. more so than you normally would be engaged, yeah. which is why good drama is compelling because you, oh shit, I didn't know I'd be into it like this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the challenge in juggling those two things, even in the rehearsal process? Do, were there moments where you go, mm, should this be funny right here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, yes. Yeah. Like, and, and our director, Sahim was like, real, like he, he really went through it with the microscope to like mm-hmm. find the line because again, yeah, you got a bunch yeah. of actors and sometimes it's playtime in rehearsal room. Like sometimes we, especially when you have funny people, like we're all trying to like outdo each other. We're trying to, be, <laughs> how, right. can I like, how can I just chew the furniture in this moment? Like, what can I do? And by the way, you just came from working with Cedric the Entertainer. Right. <laughs> it's like, and I like, so I'm already like in a space where I'd be like, how, like, how can I punch this up? Like, what can I do to like, Get us a little yeah, like yeah. whatever. I think we um, can do better on this joke, uh, y'all. Um. Yeah, <laughs> the writer James, he's so open to like the yeah. shit from it, and he is so, like he he wrote it to be really funny. And so in right. these like ad libs and these like breaking the fourth wall, like we're all playing. And so Sahim was really trying to guide us to figure out like what was a good laugh and making sure that the the way that the humor works or the way that it is most successful, especially when you have these moments where somebody just like revealed some of the most hurtful things about themselves. And then right after that, we are laughing and somebody's right. pouring up and things yeah. like that. Like finding that line, the way that it is most successful is when each moment is given the gravity that it deserves. Mm-hmm. So the jokes are given like the space to be a joke and the really, really heavy moments are given the space to be really, really heavy. And then having those two ideas and those two moments next to each other is where like the show happens. Like mm. having that, having the audience go from like sort of taken aback and being withdrawn, yeah. and being so like captivated emotionally by this moment, and then having them have to like pull themselves out of that because this person just said what. Mm-hmm. It's literally what we talked about earlier with the what, then the what, like yeah. that moment is is where our play sort of lives, and that's what makes James, our writer, so brilliant, and that's why he got yeah. the recognition that he got is because these ideas are not new. What that's we're talking right. about is not new. We've seen all of this before in different plays and different things, but putting them together in this context and putting them together in this way is new, and it. Mm-hmm. And audience in a really specific way and you talked about starting this at the at the public theater Mm -hmm. um was there any changes from the public to broadway or did you is the show does it feel different in a more from a more intimate space to a broadway stage for you personally it it did i Mm -hmm. i enjoyed being in like the round being in that like thrusty kind of space Mm -hmm. it was nice having sort of everybody around and I, i feel like it added to the chaos of the moment. Like I would argue it was probably even funnier at the public with just the exits and entrances, right? Yeah, yeah. in some ways it was, because mm-hmm. like you didn't know what was happening, like yeah. <laughs> what was going on. Right. The, the formality of the proscenium stage that we have in Broadway, the thing was trying to capture that intimacy and trying mm-hmm. to capture that connection with the audience and trying to capture that idea of like, you literally don't know what's about to happen in that space with 750 people in the theater. Um, and I think we found like a nice, happy balance to keep some of that intimacy and keep some of that energy. People exit through the through the audience and enter through the audience and things like that so that the audience feels like they're still in the cookout. Like, I think that was that was the most effective thing about the public 
people got invited to the cookout and it was literally sitting in the cookout. Like, I think we've, we've done a really good job at, at sort of maintaining and capturing uh, that, that feel of it. But James did change some things. He mm-hmm. re-looked at some, some uh, relationships and like he would tweak like little words here, little words mm-hmm. here, add takeaway. We don't need that. We need this. Um, and so I think it, it just went to make the, the play better. But surprisingly, not much changed. We kind of came in. And and did the thing. I mean, it was already a Pulitzer Prize winning play before it was even before it was even performed, right? Yeah. And that that was a crazy moment. I, I think I told the story before, but uh-huh. we were in rehearsal. Yeah. And like Jane, when we got the announcement that James had won the the Pulitzer, we were all like, "Oh man, this is great! Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Good for you! Like, that's great for us. That means people are going to be curious. They're going to want to buy tickets. They're going to come see it. This is mm-hmm. amazing." And then we were like, "Dang, wait, he won." So what it means is the play is good. The book of the play, the words of the play work. Uh-oh. If we get in here and we mess it up, it's us. Like if people come in and just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's because we ruined something beautiful that he did. And so like everybody sort of felt the pressure of like, all right, we can't, we can't, uh, can't screw this up. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, we talked about the cookout, how important food is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we're talking about the South and, you know, the formality of food and the importance of it. I've seen you talk a little bit about that, but what is your take on that too and why it's so important in this play? I think food among any groups of people, when you're talking about like a a natural, when you're talking about something that is like a a human need Mm -hmm. and you're talking about like people taking the resources that they have and something that is usually reserved specifically for family. Like mm-hmm. I'm feeding my family so that my family can survive. Right. And then you talk about the very human thing, like the, the community aspect of like feeding others. Um, there is, there is power in that. Like somebody taking the time to feed people, to provide nourishment for people is like a really special thing. And I feel like in the black community, um, in a country where, again, like our rights were not uh, built in to the structure of this country. We had to fight for those. And oftentimes we had to do with less than we probably, less than we definitely deserved. Black people have always been able to create community around feeding each other and around feeding families, whether we have a little bit or we have a lot. Like, especially again, this Southern idea of like going somewhere and like, any place you go to, there's food. Like somebody's gonna feed you. You show up to somebody's house, like my homeboy's house back home. I pull up, somebody's trying to feed me. Somebody's asking me if I ate today and if I want to get something out of their refrigerator or let me heat up something or let me cook something really quickly. Um, that like that is something that is a universal thing. Like Italian moms do it, black moms do it, Jewish moms, like it's a universal thing, but I think culturally. Uh, through the lens of blackness in this play, like the idea of feeding people is such a, like a, it's it's one of the staples of community. And I think um, I think we couldn't have, it wouldn't have been the same because again in Hamlet it's like a wedding feast and they're doing like a week long whatever whatever yeah. celebrating whatever the case may be. Um, and we start at the end of the feast like we like they already yeah. celebrating it like they're already turning up in Hamlet. And so for for this play, I think had we not. I, I, James could have said it a bunch of different places, but I think like 
a, a traditional cookout was like, that was like a no brainer. Like that is the thing. That is the reason why all these people would come and be in the same space. And uh, yeah. it was also uh, the perfect setting for some of these really, really difficult conversations. It's the reason right. why, it's the reason why nowadays people like brace themselves before they go back home for Thanksgiving dinner. Like, cause you know, <laughs> you know, over food, like anything could go down when you have like a large number of your family, these tightly intimately bonded people. Yeah. And then you put food at the table. So people are comfortable. Their walls mm. are down. Now they're eating. Uh-oh. You know, shit is about to hit the fan. Like it can go down at any moment. Turkey's not the only thing that's going to get carved up many right. times. <laughs> Even in, you know, even in The Godfather, one of the most memorable scenes is, you know, the making of the, yes. the cutting of the garlic yes. and the way you got to do it right. And there's a, a formality about that. That it, what it does to me, it, it creates this normality, like the wanting things to be normal. Here they are. These are cold-blooded killers, but there's a normal thing that they have to engage in mm-hmm. you know, to be connected to humanity in many mm-hmm. ways. You People know. have to eat. Even the costuming of this play is interesting, too, from the juxtaposition even of uh, what you're wearing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to military man coming mm-hmm. in to Sunday go to meeting hat. Mm-hmm. entering the stage like to me the actress didn't even enter her hat entered like yeah. <laughs> well i mean but that's the, that's the thing and that's that's part of the reason why uh dominique fawn hill is our is our costume designer and she got nominated yeah. for tony rightfully so rightfully so by the way and congratulations on that when you yeah. see rabbi who is our polonius when you see this church lady yeah. she don't have to say nothing Nothing. When you see her, you understand immediately what's Got happening. It. it is judgment day coming Fast. onto the stage right now. <laughs> I think when you're telling the story of Juicy, like everybody comments on how soft he is, how girly he is, how feminine he is, and how he shouldn't be. And so you're right. talking, you're trying to figure out what that looks like. Because mm-hmm. again, Juicy doesn't occupy a space like uh, Larry, who is our Laertes, like who's all military, like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And he's struggling. Great job, it. too. Ugh, he was excellent. Calvin Ugh. is fantastic. I, I, I say all the time, like, Calvin is probably, like, that That dude is, he's scary good. Yeah. But, like, when you meet that character and see, like, how closeted he is and mm-hmm. how, like, sort of yeah. stark he is, like, you're yeah. telling that story. And then you juxtapose that with Juicy, who, even in the face of people, like, putting all these labels on him, calling him all these names, He's still gonna put on some eyeliner. He's still gonna put on some some like so he's gonna have his nails done. He's yeah. gonna wear his pearls and like have his little crop tops and like he navigates the world in that space, even knowing that people don't accept that about him and knowing yeah. that it's gonna garner him ridicule. Yeah, it's funny because his armor, if we're gonna use armor as the kind of the analogy for it, is you know, he's up front, whereas the military armor, which actually is armor, mm-hmm. you, I'm, you almost feel more sorry for him. Like he like he's the one that needs more protection. It almost mm-hmm. seems like, you mm-hmm. know, the military man. It's very interesting. Interesting choices. Yeah. He's, he's the most vulnerable and juicy yeah. is he's like the, he's more fragile than juicy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he is. He is. Yeah, Juicy's a survivor in this. It's, it's very interesting, you know. So does this whet your appetite to do more Broadway, you think? Uh, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Like, it's one of those things, like, I, obviously, uh, theater theater's always going to be close to my heart. And, mm-hmm. and, like, the the blessing that is the neighborhood and, like, film and TV 
pays more or has traditionally paid me more. Um, so I just take that as like permission in my life to be able to do more theater when I get a chance to. Um, I just feel like it keeps me sharp and it gives me yeah. the, the, the characters that I'm able to play in a play are different than TV. I feel like TV is like, they're, they're trying to check a box. They're like, what can this kid do really, really <laughs> so that we yeah. can make money on this thing? Like, what can this kid do really, really well? Let him do that thing. I think in theater, they, I have a little more freedom to like play very, very different characters. Yeah. And that gives other people an opportunity to see like what I can do. Like, and, and as an artist, that's fun. And it, it gives me like um, the ability to like, just, just like, like stretch and move as a storyteller because yeah. I'm not getting, I'm not getting the roles yet that allow me to do that. I haven't found that I haven't hit that stride yet where I'm like taking on all these very different roles and things like that. That's the other thing I loved about this play is that there were so many different roles where you get to see black people on Broadway playing these yeah. different roles, not just that yeah. one role in something, you know, but every role was so interesting and, yeah. and developed and, interesting characters and all that. It was, so, it was so much fun to see that. And congrats to Nikki Crawford, by the way, who crushes it as your mom is nominated for Tony. Talk about working with Nikki. And, and, and what was your, what was it like when she got the news that she was nominated? Mm. First of all, Nikki is, we, I, the, the younger members of our cast, the millennials in our cast often poke a little bit of fun at, <laughs> at Gen X, at the, the Gen Xers in our cast. Because, oh, that's hilarious. Like, the the perspective of like the the work ethic is different, yeah. Um, and so Nikki, Billy, and Benzer all came up in like old school theater, uh, where like it's like get the job done. That's you can right. be half dead, and you got to get the job done. That's right. Show um, must go on. It has to yeah. go on. And yep. if you are not on that stage, it'll go on without you. It'll go on you without you. Tomorrow, your understudy might take your job. Facts. And the the millennials are a little more secure and like, <laughs> it's okay for me to take this time. Like, I have to do whatever this thing is. Uh, and the thing is, the generation before us fought for us to be able to do that, but they, they right. are not in a mental space to occupy it. So when I bring that up to say that Nikki is probably one of the most, the hardest working actresses mm -hmm. I've gotten a chance to witness. Like, she works hard and she will put yeah. everything she can into the character. And yeah. the, I think sometimes when people are watching it, it seems so effortless to take a character that when you first meet her feels so broad. Yeah, and absolutely. I agree. Of itself. Yeah. It's so broad and it's so big and it's so broad. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she has these moments where she drops into something really, really heart wrenching yeah. and mm -hmm. deep. And like the flexibility of that and the mechanism of having an actress be able to do that. Yeah. It's a specific type of person. And Nikki is probably, she's, she's absolutely brilliant. I, I really wish like, I, I wish her all the best and I hope that she gets the career that she wants and deserves because Shorty can act. She can act yeah. her ass off. She can stand 10 toes down and like she really can. give you like a beautiful story. And like, I was so happy and proud of her when she got the nomination and obviously, because again, like she's a hard worker, uh, she couldn't like sit in the celebration of it. And I understand mm -hmm. that because I have a hard time doing that too sometimes. So yeah. she was just like, you know, yep, yep, it's okay. Like I, I'm just so appreciative. I'm so honored. And like she was back, she was like trying to move past it to get back to the work of it. Um, but I hope she takes time to 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 feel celebrated and seen by the larger theater community because she deserves it. She absolutely deserved it.
And a shout out to James too for the for that character. That's the to me. It's not so much Shakespeare. That's back to my intersection with Tennessee Williams because she is. There's some Blanche in that character yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, yes. and in those moments when Blanche comes out, it's really I get goosebumps thinking about it now. It's very yeah. harrowing. You know, it's like oh wow. <laughs> you know? But and, and I don't know if that that might be a southern thing too. Like this. Yeah, it might be a southern. Idea. I'm saying Tennessee Williams because he embodies yeah, that. Yeah, this idea of like right. this. Oh, you know, it's all good. And like, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. like yeah, y'all come on and get something to eat. Like blah blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. But then underneath all of that, yeah. this person is is really using like that is her armor. Mm-hmm. She's so vulnerable. And she's so broken and she's so yeah. hurt. She's so uh, alone in this space that her armor is like being like the biggest, uh, like buxom, mm-hmm. like out there outlandish version of herself. Because I think she thinks if she shines really bright, then people will like see her, understand her, love her, treat her with like the care that she needs. So she's pushing out all of this, like, yeah, like in your face. Y'all talking about me, I don't care what y'all think about me, blah, 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 blah. When really this person is so, mm-hmm. so hurt and so broken mm-hmm. and so vulnerable. Yeah, and it doesn't even go into, you know, the abuse that that character, yeah. as we know, clearly we can see yeah. that that is her backstory. Each character gets yeah. own play. That, that's such a great way to put it. Yeah. That is so true, and it would be compelling, you know. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I forgot to mention, I got to work with the with the young Marcel on a yeah. little show called The Mayor over yeah. at ABC. He was one of the mayor sidekicks and shining yeah. in that role even then. Uh, how, how has it been for you these last few years? What's your experience on the neighborhood? I mean, it must be so great to land on something like that where uh, you get to have, you know, this, another great cast and working with yeah. pros and so much fun. How's that been for you? It's been, it's been good. Like, I am so grateful for having like those kind of environments and like being able to like grow and and be fostered in those kind of places. Like the mayor was my first TV gig. Mm -hmm. I was a series regular on a show and I got to work with two guys that became like some of my best friends. Like we still talk to this day. We still kick it to this day. You guys were thick. CC. T-H-I-C-C. And so to be in an environment with those guys and like go on the journey and it was all of our like first thing and we were really mm-hmm. excited about it um it was it, i was dope to show up and like be like yo larry wilmore is like in the writer's room he's like he's gonna be on set with us today he's playing like this small like <laughs> but like like all of these like moments I, it, it just felt so good and like yeah it, it, it was a safe space and it was a good place to start like my tv journey um yeah. And then, it, and then the other good thing about it, like when that show got canceled, it, it hurt so much. And I was like, I was like, man, what do I do? Do I go back to New York? Do I go to New Orleans? Like, or do I stay in LA and see if I can figure it out? And I made the decision to stay. Um, luckily I had saved my money. I didn't like go buy a Benz yet. So I, I was like, okay, I have enough money to stay in LA comfortably, pay my rent, be able to like eat, do everything I was supposed to do for a year. I got 12 months. Save, I could. I saved up enough to I could survive in this mud for twelve That's months. That's great. I love that. So I got to make something happen in twelve months, um, and so I stayed and and like I auditioned. I ended up doing another play. I was at the Geffen for like three months, and I was like bouncing around. And and luckily, um, I got this show called The Neighborhood, or it was, at the time it's called Welcome to the Neighborhood. And there was this character Marty 
in a script that needed work. Yeah. Um, because the script was kind of like crazy, but this character Marty, I was like, I know this dude. Mm. I know this guy. Um, and I got cast, and and the the beauty of it is I was cast before Cedric was, but once Cedric came in, mm. his partnership with our, our writer at the time just just created something like really good. And like said the way that he steps in and, and like as our producer and like as the head of our show. It's, it's very much a, a top down sort of like he sets the standard and he's yeah. a he's a he's a he's one of those like servant leaders. Like he's going to be there. He's going to do the work. He's going to grind it out. He's going to be a part of he wants to touch everything to make sure that the, the like quality control. Um, there's like a no asshole policy. Like everybody walks in with respect. Uh, everybody walks in with love and he treats everybody like family. So no one yeah. coming in can do less than that. Um, and so it's just created like a really good bond with everybody on the show in front of the camera, behind the camera. Um, and it's, it's good. Like it was, it's at times it's a masterclass because like I get to learn, uh, mm-hmm. like people who do this at the highest level and in front of an audience, which is great. In front of an audience. People forget. I love multicam. You know, when you're, especially as a young actor, you get to do a show in front of an audience. You learn so much in that. Yeah, like you got to get your timing just right. That's right. It's, it's 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 it was just like a it was like fertile ground for me to like really like build up my career. So I'm super excited that I still get to do it. Uh, I haven't gotten tired of it yet. So um, and I don't think anybody else has. Like we're still we're still going strong going into season six. Great. Uh, and I'm I'm just I'm happy to be there. It, it feels really good. And what types of things are we on the horizon? What would you which what, what types of things would you like to do? Is directing something that you're looking forward to? That type of thing, films, yeah, plays. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would I would I would love to direct. Like I low key like fake shadow our directors, and and it's like a little joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're that annoying little little brother who's hanging around, yeah, like, and I'm like, asking questions, right? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like. Cameras and things like that. And so they'll be like, yeah, Marcel, we'll, we'll let Marcel direct in like season seven or something like that or season mm-hmm. eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would love to like try my hand at that because I think that storytelling from that perspective is interesting and, and it's something that I, I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously want to like do films and movies and things like that. I think that would be like super dope because again, I get an opportunity to to tell like this really, really heartwarming, like family story, everybody can sit down and enjoy. And there, there's something uh, timeless about that, about the sitcom that I'm on, on the neighborhood. But I want to do something. I want to get, I want to get ignorant. I want to do like some crazy, like cool, like action thrillers, like dark comedies and like yeah. really emotional dramas. Like I would love to like dabble in those, those uh, stories as well. Um, so I'm constantly looking, obviously, when you sign these contracts, CBS uh, is is my priority. Yes, they have your firstborn all yep. locked up. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. But anything that I can get in between that, uh, I'm always looking and I'm always trying to see if I can if I can find something because I really I really love this thing that I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm at a position in my life right now where I'm able to do it. And I want to just I want to just do it. Well, your passion comes through in all your performances, both on TV and on the stage. It's fat ham, you guys. It's on Broadway. Is it a limited run right now? What it's limited. Deal? So uh-huh. right now, it says that we go to the end of June. Um, but I think, you know, obviously things have been going well. I think we're probably going to get extended to the end of the summer. 
Um, but it's at the, awesome. at the end of the summer. It you has can't to, shoot your show yet. This, this little writer strike thing. The writer strike going right. on. So as long as, <laughs> as, as as long as I keep working on this, this would be great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think we're you know fingers crossed, knock on wood. I think we're going to get that extension, uh, especially after the nominations and things like that. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, yeah. We'll, it's limited, but we'll be here for we'll be here for a little bit longer. That would be great, guys. Get to New York, see Fat Ham. There's always great things to see on Broadway, but this is a must see. Um, it's so, like I said, it's so funny, but it's so engaging in so many different ways, you know, and a lot of it is crazy, too. You know, you go, this is just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the ending you talk about. I'm not going to say what the ending is, but the ending, I'm like, wait, what am I watching right now? <laughs> like, this is I, I mean that in a good way. It's like we were standing cheering and everything. It was so amazing. It's great. The ending is crazy. You guys are out of your minds. There was an old guy asleep. Yeah. Bro, he had dozed off. And I saw it when it happened. Yeah. And I was waiting because I knew you knew it was coming. In the yeah. ending, homeboy yeah. was gonna wake up and be like, what play? <laughs> what did I miss? How do we get here? <laughs> what play am I in? <laughs> like he's transported to another theater while he was asleep. Yeah. Crazy. That's a nice little tease for you guys, but you gotta see Fat Ham to see what we're talking about. It's at yeah. the American Airlines Theater, it's on Broadway. Uh, Marcel Spears leads a great cast of people. Marcel, thank you so much for being here. It was so great seeing you and catching up with you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, Larry. I I, I really appreciate you sort of being like the godfather of this thing we do. It feels like everybody I talk to, you've either helped them write, produce, or like given them some kind of advice or not going to work with them or whatever the case may be. So I, I just yeah. really appreciate the, the space that you occupy in this business now. Oh, like, I appreciate it. Being one of those guys. I want to see it all. I want to see us all do well. <laughs> so, yeah. Spreading the wealth. But man, I mean, you know, this thing, it's its so easy to recommend too. I want people to see this. This this makes us, it allows us to do more things like this, you know. Yeah. Especially when these are successful. So And, and uh, good luck on the Emmy noms too. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, brother. T- tell everybody I said, hey, I'll be back to see you, by the way. I'll be back. Okay. In, uh, Cause I got to bring people to stuff like this, so um, I think I'm gonna bring uh, I'm gonna bring my daughter to come see it next time I'm in New York. Nice. All right, man. We'll see you. Fat ham, everybody. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>